Okay, we're going to start here on the bottom of the bed and the last line. So he had this case before when we were trying to prove what the position is of Rabbi Yochanan with regards to Yerakot Shlakot, these cooked vegetables. And we brought the case of Rabbi Yochanan eating this Zayid Miliach. And we know, as Rashi and Tosavot point out, Miliach Kiroteach, that salting something is the equivalent of cooking it. So that would be a good case for us to understand what Rabbi Yochanan's position was. And he made a bracha in the beginning and in the end. So the bracha that he made in the beginning, we're assuming was Bari Priya Eitz. And then afterwards, we assume he made Al Eitz V'Ala Priya Eitz. Then the Gemara countered that argument and said, well, not necessarily. Maybe he made a Shakon Yebid Vero in the beginning. And then afterwards, he made a Borei Nefashot. And Gemara, it's interesting again, when the Gemara talked about the bracha Chrona there, and wanted to mention Bereina Fashot, it says, well, that's not really a bracha. That you wouldn't call that a bracha. And that's what we had spoken about before. Right, the Veloklum. That Bereina Fashot really is not a bracha that was considered to be a real bracha chrono. So Gemara asks a very fundamental question in Rabbi Yochanan's position, which is, In order to salt the olives, you have to take out the pit. So these are pitted olives. Batsule Shiura is less than a kazayit. The kazayit is the size of an olive, but it includes the pit inside of it. Once you pull the pit out, then you don't have a kazayit worth. Now, obviously, and as Tosu pointed this out, we're talking about here the bracha achrona. Bracha rishona is a anything. Even at ima, you require bracha rishona for here. So the Gemara's question is certainly not about the bracha rishona. It is about the bracha achrona. And then Tosu goes off on some sidebars here, but they're very important. So I just want to mention them. The first second one is he talks about. You should be careful to drink from a kosher bracha, at least the melo lugmav. Melo lugmav is a cheekful, a rov revi'it. In order, so you can say the bracha chrona of ala gefen valpriya gefen. Vihari, it's a very, very interesting practice. Haya omer borene fashot. Kevin talav bracha chashuvahi. Again, this idea that Borei Nefashot is not really anything. When less, ate less than a shiur, and therefore he didn't reach the a level of shiur that would have obligated him in the bracha. So when he was in that position, he would just say Borei Nefashot. Because it's not like a real bracha, it's not a bracha chashuva. And so he'd fill in with Borei Nefashot, even with less than a shiur. Tosfot says no, he says, came into Borei Nefashot taknuah, Eventually, when they put Barina Fashot in place, they did it to counter or in paradigm with the Alagefin, then they did it the same way. The Takana should follow what they did with Alagefin. And just like Alagefin, you require a Shi'ur, so too by Barina Fashot, you require a Shi'ur. That's number one. That's a very interesting point that Tosod is making. Two of them. One is about the Shi'ur afterwards, and number two is about the Reeves practice of saying Barina Fashot, even in the face of not meeting the threshold of the Shi'ir for that item. Because, and this is again, we're repeating this idea that Barina Fashot is not really a bracha, it was a fill-in. For when they didn't have a bracha chrona, and so he's using it as a fill-in here. Tosafot himself rejects it because of this idea that once they instituted Barina Fashot, then it follows the paradigm of the bracha main shalosh. And once it does that, it has a threshold or a Shi'ur that will be mechayevit. But the with wine, I guess. 
Right. I assume that if he had water, less than shiur, that he wouldn't make a brain of fashot. Right? I think he, it seems, it, we don't have a clarification of his position, but I would assume that it meant only against Baruch HaMein Shalosh. Right, so now the Gemara answers the question here. We'll come back to this Tosafot in a second, because Yushami has an alternative answer to our Gemara. It says, Misavat Kazait Gadolbina. Who says you need a big olive? Who says you need a Chazanish olive? Kazait Benoni Bina, right? You only need a middle-sized olive. So Bahayu, the Aiti, the Kamei, Rabbi Yochanan, Zait Gadol Havel. And the one that Rabbi Yochanan got was a large olive. So the Avagav the Shabula Garanite Pashlei Shiura. So even though he got a large olive that was pitted, large olive that's pitted is the same size as a Benoni, a middle-sized olive. So that's how we solve the problem here, according to the Bavli. That's not mission. Zayit Shamrulo Katan Belogadola Benoni. The Zayit that we're talking about is not big. It's not small. It's the middle, the medium size. Vezehu Aguri. That's called a olive. That's called the Aguri belted one. Or a reservoir. And as Rashi explains over here, guri is because it holds its shemen, its oil inside. Unlike other fruits, where they're decompartmentalized, he says that the grape and the olive have their juice, their liquid inside, ready to come out. And therefore, when you press them, they come out easily. That's not its name. So there are all of these different names here. Because its oil is belted in, it's held in. And as I mentioned before, that's what Rashi explains, that it comes out easily. It's ready to go. I want to just mention on Tosafot, we gave the answer for Rabbi Yochanan in the Babli. The answer in the Babli for Rabbi Yochanan is that he got a bigger olive, a pitted bigger olive that ended up with a medium-sized olive. Yushalmi brings an alternative answer, and that is called Birya. The Yerushalmi says that if you eat a whole entity, then you have to make a bracha chrona, even if you don't meet the threshold for a shiur. You eat an entire grape, make a bracha chrona on the grape, even though it doesn't meet the minimum shiur of kezayit. So the same thing here too. He ate a whole zayit, and in eating a whole zayit kebiria, he would make a bracha chrona, even if it was less than the shiur. Now, the problem with that is, that if it's a pitted olive, then it is not kebiria. So the Tosafot suggests that the Yushami meant that it was an olive that had its pit still in it, and that it was Kibiria. The Tosafot then says that the Yushami argues on the Bavli. That this is a machloket Bavli in Yushami, and that would have a big nafkamina, because then we most likely would pass in like the Bavli, and that means that they, you would have to meet the minimum threshold to say a bracha and that Biria would not make a difference. But then a Rabbi Yosef, Hayyam Faresh, Yushami eno cholek ala gemara shalano. It's not cholek in our Gemara. Over here, the, it was pitted. So therefore, it was not kibiriato. Whereas in Yushami, they left the pit in. And based on that, there is no machok babli in Yushami. It's just a question if the pit was in or not in. And based on that, they came up with different answers. And that means that the babli would also agree with the Yushami's position. And that's the way we pass in the If you eat a birya, that you have to make a bracha even if you don't meet the minimum shior. You have a raisin, you have a grape, a single gargir, that's enough to be mechayibu a bachachrona, even though it doesn't meet the threshold of the minimum shiur. Then, the Tosafot brings another thing, it's funny, he just brings another memra from Yushami, not connected at all, but an important memra, and he says that if you're holding in your hand a turmusa, which is going to be the next sugya that we're going to deal with, the turmusa, turmusa is a lupine, and you make a bracha on it, and it falls out of your hand, and then you pick up another turmusa, you have to make another bracha. See, if you make a bracha on a bowl or on a whole series of vegetables, you can pick whichever one you want. 
But if you make it on a particular one, and it falls out of your hand, and then you go to take another one, you have to make another bracha. And at the end, he says, and that's why it's important, it's talked about, Vayomar, Baruch Shem Gavod Machutoli Olam Vled. We should say, Baruch Shem Gavod Machutoli Olam, we should have a bracha levatala. The first bracha was a bracha levatala. Bechein Echon Lomar, Okol Bracha levatala. Anytime you make a bracha levatala, it's important to say this, Baruch Shem Gavod Machutoli Olam Vled. Because obviously the bracha v'tala problem with it is the mentioning of Hashem Hashem in a context where it's not really being used. And so that's in some way a denigration of the Shem Hashem. So in order to counteract that misuse of the Shem Hashem, we say baruch Shem kvod makotodu which is a praise or an elevation of the Shem Hashem to offset that negativity in the bracha v'tala. And that is our practice as well. Everybody knows this practice here. Tosfot mentions it. This idea to say Baruch Shem Kvar Makhutodam Ved when there's a Baruch Shem Tzrichol or Baruch Shem Batala. Lema Kitanai. Let us say that this really is a Machluket Tanaim. Which is, Dahanu Tritam Ide Daviyatve Kami De Bar Kapara. These two students that were sitting in front of Bar Kapara. Reveal of Anav proof. Dumiskin Upargiot. They brought before them these three items to eat. Kruv, we know. Cabbage. Pargiot, we know. Soft, young chicken. Dermaskin is a question. Rashi says, Dermaskin, he calls them Akdalishit over here, based on what he saw in Babakam and the Rabbi Yitzhak Rabbi Yehuda. But he says that Rabbi Yitzhak Rabbi Yehuda over here defined them differently and called them prunes. So Dermaskin would be plums or prunes, depending on which state they came before them. And he says, that's what I think it is here. Tosafot says he doesn't think that's right, because when I see the sugya coming up, that there was, nobody suggested that the bracha here should be boy priya eights, which would have been the bracha on a plum or a prune, should have made a boy priya eights. And therefore, Tosafot says that it's a type of kruv. It's in the family of the kruv. That's these dumaskim. So, Natan bar kapar rishut echad mehem levareich. He gave permission to one of the students to make the bracha rishon on behalf of all of them. So, he jumped one of them, kafat subirech ala pargiot. He jumped in, and he made the bracha on the pargiot, on the young poultry. So Leglev Elav Chavero, his friends started laughing at him. Kaas Barkabar, got upset. Amar Loala Mevarech Anikois. Not angry on the one who made the bracha, Elav Melagleg Anikois. And the one who poked fun, that was teasing the other one. Just because, as David said here, this guy was like he's never tasted meat before in his life, that he's jumping to eat that first. Adam love. Why did you laugh at him? Why did you make fun of him? And then he continued. I'm not angry at the one who made fun. I'm angry at the one who made the bracha. Vamar. Im chokhma ayin kan, zikena ayin kan. He says, okay, if I'm not a tamal chokham, at least I'm somewhat of stature, I'm older. You could have asked me what the bracha, which one you should make the bracha first. Tano, ushneem lo tiu, shnatan. They didn't make it through their year, they both passed away in that year, because they got Barkopar upset. So my love, bahaka What was the argument between these two students? I mean, it's interesting that the Gemara is willing to call this a machloket tanaim after Bar Kapara did away with both of them. But the Gemara is going to use this as a structure for a machloket tanaim. So they mivareich savar shlakot pargiot shakol niyabid varo. Talking about cooked vegetables and pargiot, you have a shakol on your hands. Hilkach chofiv adif. You have an equal bracha, then you pick the one that is more pleasing to you, the one that you like better. So he has a shahako shahako, he jumped for the basar because that was more pleasing to him. 
They shall call these cooked vegetables, the kruv was the rin, the cooked vegetable, because we know that a raw kruv, at least in the eyes of the Gemara, was a shahako. So the only way you would have had the kruv was when it was cooked. So in that sense, you makhlokit about what the bracha should have been on the shlakot. And we give precedence to the bari priyadama over the shahako. Mara says, lo, tukuliyama shlakot upargiyot. Everybody believes that the Shalkot and the Pargiyot are Shalkot and the Pargiyot. Their Machokas is in this fundamental understanding. One of them says that when you come to the Brachot, you give precedence to the one that you like better, when you're on an equal Brachot plane at least. So in that one said that cabbage was more, or should have been given precedence here, design. Because it's something that's nourishing, it's something that gives sustenance. So that was the machlokit between them. Just to mention over here that Tosafot mentions about Chavivadif. We had this machlokit about which is more important when you're making brachot. What is the hierarchy of making brachot? So he put in this, this Chavivadif that what you like better has impact on which you make a brachot first. Tosafot over here gives his idea of what, how the hierarchy works in brachot. It's important. It's not clear. I'll show him argue about this. It's not... Standard, but I hear at least Tosafot his opinions. He says, If you have two fruits in front of you, you can pick whichever one you like better. And Bari Priyadama takes precedence over Tve, because that's a more defined bracha. And since it has its own status, it's better than Shakol. Shakol is the generic bracha. Bari Priyadama is a particular bracha. We're going to go with the particular bracha over the Shakol. That's despite the fact that the Shakol is something you like better. So even though it's a steak and you have some potatoes with it, you make the bracha on the potatoes even though the steak is what you're really after. That's what you want. But, Im perot shabrachot shavot. You have fruits in front of you where you have equal bracha. And one of them is from the Shivata Minim. Automatically the Shivata Minim gets precedence over here. So that's not clear from Odebi Shonim. Whether Shivata Minim gets precedence all the time or Chaviv has impact here. Does Chaviv... Yeah, when it's both Bari Priya 8, does Chaviv have impact? And within the Shivata Minim, hierarchy goes by which is first in the Pasuk. And then you have the Eretz mentioned twice in the Pasuk. So the second Eretz brings up upgrades whatever's after it in the hierarchy. Over there again, that question of whether the hierarchy in the Pasuk trumps Adif, Chaviv Adif, whether you like it better. Tosot it says you should give precedence to the Shivat Aminim. There are those that want to suggest that Chaviv Adif. And we'll discuss this further when we get to the Gemara on Mem Aleph that discusses this topic of how to prioritize in Brachot. And Tosafim also mentions here that by Bar Kapara, we were talking about the Bracha Rishona, which is obvious that that's what they made the Bracha about. But he says that it has to be a case where they were massive. That's an important fact. It comes up much, it comes up later in the Masechta, it comes up in other locations. The ability to be motzi, someone else in a bracha, especially with food, you have to be besevel, you have to be together, you have to create some sort of unit between you in order to have a single bracha work for all of you. And Tosfet over here points out that we don't do besevel except for pat, and therefore we can't use this function of the bracha rishona for everyone. Later on, Tosfet says, in another context, that our sitting is the equivalent of their haseba. That when we sit together around the table, that has a kviut, like their haseba, and therefore whatever they did when they were haseba, we can do when we sit together. And because of that, Tosfut mentions the idea of sitting for Havdalah and other brachot, 
where if you're being motzi someone else, you need to have a kavit together in order to be motzi them. And so that would have implications for Kiddush and for Abdullah, where the overwhelming evidence is that one should sit for both of those in order to make the bracha rishona, the berchat anenin, and berchat kiddush for those other people that are there. Back to our Gemara. Amar Rav Zera. Kiyavayinah be Ravuna. Amar Lan. Hanei gargalide de lifto. So these lifto is turnips. Gargalide means the tops of the turnips. So they're eating tops of turnips. Parmino prima rabo. Make sure that when you dice them, you dice them in larger chunks, because then it's a bori priadama. Prima zuta, if you dice them into smaller pieces, shakonia bidvaro, then they lose their status as a turnip, and they become a shakonia bidvaro. Rashi points out, so when you're eating it raw. Vichiat on the bay of Yehuda, when we reached Rabbi Yehuda's base medrash's house, Amarlan, idi vidi bori priadama. Doesn't make a difference. Both cases, it's bracha berbiadama. Vahai de parmino tzvei dechidinam tik tamei. And the reason, the only reason they dice them or slice them up into smaller pieces is because when you're eating them raw, it makes them sweeter. So that's the only reason. It doesn't remove the shame turnip from them. It just has a better taste to it. So Amar Vashi Kiavina be Rav Kahana Amarlon Tavshila de Silka Lo Mafshiba Kimcha. You have this selek again. The translation of Selech is beets. Rashi again says Tavshil Shel Tradin, even though the Gemara later on uses carrot separately, which would make it spinach over here. But let's assume that we're talking about a beet Tavshil. The Loma Shivul Kimcha doesn't have a lot of flour in it. Borei Priyadama. Delifto, when you have this Tavshil of turnips, Mavshiba Kimcha that has a lot of flour in it. Mavshiba Kimcha Tvei, Borei Minei Mizonot. You make a Mizonot on it, which is very interesting because we just had the Gemara before with Rabin Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel say that mizonot cannot be subverted. If mizonot can be subverted, why does it make a difference? There's a lot of flour or a small amount of flour in the dish. And that's what he said in the end. Idividi borei priadama. That's the exact opposite of what we thought. They're both borei priadama. Why? This is one of the exceptions we said to that bracha. The reason they put a lot of flour into it is to be a binder for the tavshil. And as we said before, that for the Chameshet Minei Dagan, two exceptions to the rule that they're never subverted is, one, a binder, and number two is a thickening agent. So over here, they're using it for one of those two items. You have this spinach mixture. It's good for your heart. It's good for the eyes. It's great for the intestines. If spinach is healthy, they knew it even back then. That's only if it's sitting on a pot on the top of the stove, and it's making the, the noise, the, the bobbing noise, because it's already boiling over. It has to be boiled really well. The spinach has to be boiled really well. Raw spinach does not have these benefits. It's this really well-cooked spinach. Sa'amarava. Pshitali, maya desilka kesilka. Pasha to me that the juices, the water of this selek, of the beets, is like the selek. Maya delifta kelifta. The water of the turnips is like the turnips. And the water of all these vegetables is like any of the other shlakot. So this is very interesting because we said before about meats, any juices, that zeab alma. So Tosavot asked that question right away. What do you mean? It says, The juices of fruits are zeab alma. And that's how Tosavot leaves it. You have to differentiate. You have to differentiate between vegetable juices and fruit juices. 
And so he says that fruit juices are shackle, whereas these vegetable juices, and I'm assuming here, the idea being that they had the vegetables in it, and eventually the vegetables break down inside of the water, and that might be the reason to be mechalik over here, because these aren't simply the juices, but the vegetables cooked to the point where it disintegrates in the water. And that's why maybe over here you would differentiate and say that it's a boy priyadama. So bayra papa, maya de shifta, my, what about this water of the shifta? Rashi says the shifta is yarak shinotim atvik teradama take the alma. You put the vegetable into the dish in order to sweeten it, but not to eat the vegetable. You're not after the vegetable itself, you're after what the vegetable contributes to the dish, and he calls it anit, balaz. I don't know if he's thinking of anis. Dill. Okay. So some sort of flavoring. Might. So now the question is, is it l'mtuke avdi? It's simply a flavor enhancer. Or Or is it to remove some other negative things in there? They called zuma, which was, I don't know if that was the fats or the froth of the broth, they had to remove that from the... I guess so, that's what it sounds like. Either took it out or dissolved, I'm not sure what happened here. Alright, so now in this case, the bracha would be different because if it's limtuke, then you would make a bari priyadama. Because then it's flavoring the kzeira, and then it would be like this maya of the shlakot. On the other hand, if it's simply to remove the zuama, then it has no impact on the kzeira. It's simply to remove, not to add. And then you wouldn't, it wouldn't have impact on the bracha that you're making over here. So tashma, a shevet mishinitna tam bikdeira, ba mishum chuma. Once this shevet, this parsley, this dill, once it's given flavor into the kdeira, it's what's left over, in ba mishum chuma. Veinu mitama tumatochlim. It no longer has the status of chuma, and no longer is mitame tumatochlim. Shmamina lem tuke taima abdila. Must be that it's coming to flavor the dish, mamina. Because basically, it's it's ba'alma. Afterwards, once the flavor is drained from it, it has no status by itself. So if it was coming to absorb the zuama, then the item would still be intact. It's basically intact. It's absorbed the flavor from the dish, from the kadeira, and you're taking it out. And so what you had before was parsley, but what you have now is or this dill, and what you have afterwards is the same thing, just absorbed more. On the other hand, if it's to impart flavor to the dish, then after it's imparted the flavor, what you have left over afterwards is nothing. Because the dill or the parsley has imparted its flavor, what's left inside of it is nothing. It's a tasteless item now. So the only reason to say that it changes status after it's been put in the dish is because it's imparting flavor and then there's nothing left afterwards. So that's the proof from this Mishnah that it must be that this shevet is for imparting flavor and then you would make a bori piradama. Amarav chiyah barashi pat bikara. So tsunuma is basically a stale bread or a dried out bread. But then they put it into a kiara, the bowl that has liquid in it. So it's being soaked in a liquid now. So it's a hardened bread that's being soaked in a liquid. That you make a brach of amotzi on, because it doesn't lose its status of bread. And this argues on Rebbechia. You have to finish off the bracha with the pot. Gemara's understanding over here is that you have to break the bread at the moment that you're finishing the bracha. You're both saying, you break the bread with the completion of the bracha. They want to start with the shleima on the bracha and you break during the bracha according to Rebbechia. Matkif rova. Why don't you want to make a bracha on this tsunama? You're finishing off the bracha on a broken piece already. 
Based on that, on the patuk, yigamra, prusa gamro, you're finishing it off on a broken piece. Based on what Rabbi was suggesting, that the brach has to be tichleim apat, that you have to finish it off with the prisa prusa in a pot, as you're pulling off that piece from the pot, this is already parus, this is already broken. Here, you want to finish the bracha while you're breaking the bread. So now, Tosafot makes it clear here, that this question only arises if you have a shlema there. If you only have the tunama, then you don't have a choice. Of course you're going to make a bracha on the tunama motzi. The question here is that you also have a whole piece of bread there, should you make the bracha on the tunama or not? And the fact that it mentioned the bracha on the tsunama suggests that you're opting out of the shleim and making it a tsunama. And so that's what the Gemara is trying to challenge over here. Why is it? Because according to you, Rabkia, there's no difference in the end. The tsunama is a prusa, is a broken piece. And so too will the whole bread be a broken piece by the time you complete the bracha. So why are you differentiating between the two? You should be indifferent between the two. They result in the same thing. Ella, amarava mevareich ve'achar kach no, no, no. You misunderstood this. The halacha is not that you have to break the bread with completion of the bracha. You must first complete the bracha and then only then break the bread. So, which is to break the bread with the completion of the bracha. My mother said to me, Your father practiced like Rabbechia. Bracha should finish off with the breaking of the bread. And the Rabbanan practiced like the Rava. The is like You make the bracha, and only after you complete the bracha do you break the bread. So now Tosafot right over here says, so some people practice. They only cut the bread after they make the brocha. So it'll be shleima. Like this seems to be what the locha of rova is. He says that's not a good minog. There's a delay. After you make the brocha, then you're now going to start cutting the bread. That's a huge, it's a huge delay between the brocha and actually eating the bread. He says, in Shabbat, you have to be machmir because you need shleimim, because you need lechem mishneh. For lechem mishneh, you should be makpid not to cut into it beforehand. But he says that the difference between poteich, cutting, and botea. Botea means to break the bread. You just break the piece off, you can eat it right away. It's immediately available to you. Cutting takes time. And he says that delay is problematic in terms of making the bracha, and therefore he objects to cutting after Bracha, only on Shabbat, where there's the offsetting factor of Mishnah Lechem, can you cut after the fact? And that is the practice that most people have, that when they make a bracha and they use a knife, for those that use a knife to cut their challah, they make a mark in the bread as to where they're going to cut. That's not some voodoo, I think a lot of people, they wave the knife over the bread beforehand. No, it's actually to make a cut, so the person has a place where they know they're going to start the cut right away, and that it's easy for them to continue the cut. And therefore they should cut it to a point, you can cut it to a point where it doesn't break the shleimim. It's a mishnuxin that's quoted by the Shnarch and the Mishnaburah. As long as you can pick up the smaller piece and the bigger piece doesn't fall away, then that cut is still considered to be a shleimim. So you can cut that much and then continue afterwards to deal with this problem that Tosafot mentions. I would also think that in their day they were dealing with what was called provincial bread, which was a bread today that you make, which is a very hard outside. It's extremely hard on the outside and soft on the inside and therefore it was difficult to cut. So I think that's probably the type of bread they're talking about, that cutting wasn't just like a symbol. Today we have a challah that's soft all the way through. I'm not sure that the same would apply, because it's very easy. You can cut through it in a moment. It's not so hard to cut it. Itmar, pititim ushlemim. Brought for him broken pieces of bread and whole pieces, or whole loaves. 
Make a brach on the pieces of bread and poter It's better to make a brach on a whole loaf. Alma prusa shochitin ushleima minaseorim. So this is what you were speaking about. So that if you have a broken piece from wheat bread and a whole barley bread, everybody agrees. You give precedence to the chita. And with that, your mozi that of the seorim. So there, everybody agrees. This is both Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Huna are going to agree in that instance that you make the bracha over the wheat. The chita, both because chita is earlier in the pasuk, as well as the fact that chita is machal adam and sora is machal beima in general in the time of the Gemara. So therefore, we give precedence to a chita that is parus than to a sora that is shleima. Now, Rav Huna's opinion here is a machlok of Ashi and Rabbeinu Tam. It's a very important machlok, and it's going to have nafkamina later on in the Gemara, which is when Rav Huna says marechal apititim poter teshlemim. Rashi says imratzam marechal apititim. The point is not obligating you to make the bracha on the broken pieces of bread. He says, if you want to, you can. Rashi differentiates on the size of those broken pieces. He says, if the broken pieces are the same size or smaller than the whole bread, then you can make a choice. And that's what Ravuna is saying. You can make a choice. You can say it on the ptitim, you can make it on the shleimim. But, if the broken pieces are larger than the shleimah, he says the din is, you make it on the ptitim, because they're bigger. You make it, you must make it on the ptitim, because they're bigger. Tosafot says, Akech perish rabbeinu tam, t'mayri ptitim gdolim, v'shleimim tanim. He says that Rav Huna's statement is made even when the ptitim are yirteh gdolim. V'achib erisho, am Rav Huna, v'reich ala ptitim, klomar, im yirteh. V'hu adin al shleimim, im yirteh, he gets a choice. Rabbi Yochanan, am shleimim ikar, v'heid halochik Rabbi Yochanan. The halacha is like Rabbi Yochanan, because over here you have a machokas Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Huna. We know that in halacha, Rav Rabbi Yochanan, halacha ke? Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Huna is a Talmud of Rav. So now if I have a machokas between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Huna, I'm obviously going to pass one like Rabbi Yochanan. So it's what introduces the idea of what about halacha ke batra. We have halacha like Rava. Many times halacha like Rava because it's a batra. Rabbi Nachman. Batra, so halacha is like him. So over here, Rabbi Huna is a batra. Why isn't halacha like him? He says that doesn't happen now. Batra means Fourth, fifth generation Amoraim. We're not talking about, you know, third, second, third generation Amoraim. That's not called a Batra. Batra only enters when we're at the way end of the period of the Amoraim. It's not a, a it's not a principle that's applied everywhere of Batra. Batra is, is, has to do with a unique part of the series of Amoraim, which is very late in the period of the Amoraim. It's, yeah, there's, but you're talking about the people who are compiling the Gemara. So compiling the Gemara, you're already dealing with fifth generation Amoraim. The sixth generation Amoraim, like Mar Baravashi, and things like that already late. So, but Rav is a batra in face of like Ravashi and see who are compiling the Gemara. He's towards the end. Rav and Rav Nachman. So I'm Rabbi Yirmiyam Ravakitnai. This is a machloket tanaim. Now it's not clear from the Gemara. Is it Rav Huna and Rav Yochanan that's a machloket tanaim? Or is this issue of Seorim Chitim a machloket tanaim? Rashi says over here that the Kitnai hears, Hadamar Prusa Shokitim Shleimashal Seorim. About giving precedence and thoughts, what says Rashi's right here. That's the right. That is the machloket tanaim here. Kotanim is not referencing back to Ravuna and Rav Yochanan. You know by the fact that Rashi says this, and Tosfut says this, that there are others that disagree. Rashi would only say such a thing if there were others that thought otherwise, and Tosfut says the same thing, that there are others who thought it referenced Ravuna and Rav Yochanan, he disagrees. Tormin batzal katan shalem, avalo chatzib batzal gadol. Dealing with onions. And you have to take a truma. When you mafish truma, you have to be mafish mina yofet. You have to take off from the best. 
So here I have a, I'm taking up chuma. I have whole small onions, and I have half of large onions. I've cut large onions. It says, Tomim batzal katan shalem, avlo chatsi batzal gadol. I give precedence to the smaller whole onions than to the cut big onions. I'd rather have you take off a half of the large onion. So here you have a machloket exactly on this idea of whether the batzal katan, which is whole, versus a batzal gadol that's cut in half, which is the precedence. And again, Tosafot and Rashi are saying this is not going back to Rav Huna and Rav Yochanan's argument. It's simply about, here it's clear that the Batzal Gadol is tastier. And is bigger in size than the Ktanim. And for the Kohen, that's a better deal. He wants the bigger item. He doesn't want the smaller item. And the question is, is the Batzal Katan still get precedence because it's Shalim? So my love, One of them says, whichever is more Chashuv, I mean, the uh, Batzal Gadol, the tastier one is... Better. Marsava shalim adif, that the small one that's whole is better. Where says now, Echadika Kohen. If there's a Kohen that's present, Kuliyama Lopligi the Khoshiv Adif. Everybody agrees that the Khoshiv is Adif, because as Shoal just pointed out, the cut onion has a limited shelf life. And having a limited shelf life, if the Kohen is present, then we don't worry about it, we're going to give him the bigger onion. Kipligi the Leke Kohen. The only question is when there's not a Kohen that's immediately available. Tatnan, Vemishna, Koma Komshish Kohen. Then, whenever the coin is present, you take the best one off because that's what he deserves. There's no coin available. You take the one that will last longer because you have to have a shelf life. You have to keep it until you find a coin or a coin shows up. So that you need shelf life for it. Rabbi Huda Omer ain't Torim Elamini Yafet. Huda says it doesn't matter. You always have to give the Yafet to the coin. You never give him in a to the coin. So this is Rabbi Huda again. So in the machlokin here between batzal gadol, chatzit batzal gadol, and batzal katan, it's simply this. There's no coin available. Do I take off of the chashuv? Any, do I take off of the chashuv anyway? That's Rabbi Yehuda's position. Do you take off of the chatzit batzal gadol? Whereas the Tanakhama says batzal katan, because that'll last longer. So that's the machlokin. It's similar to the machlokin we see elsewhere. It's only in the case where there is no coin present, what do we give precedence to? But again, that would also drop the possibility about Using this as a machlokut tanaim to define what we said before. Here there's another factor involved. The other factor is that of truma. And truma, you have to give precedence to the yofeh. Everybody agrees yofeh gets precedence by truma. There's no question about it. It's only a question when you have competition between mitkayim and yofeh, what do we do in that instance? But everybody agrees that the yofeh goes first. So that would agree with what we said before, which is that the chatzi chitin is better than the Shleima of the Silrim, because that's better. Amar of Nachman by Yitzchak. V'yirei Shemayim yotzei yidei shnehem. Someone wants to be Yirei Shemayim, will take care of all of them. He'll do both of them. What is this yotzei yidei shnehem? This is going back to Rav Huna and Rav Yochanan. If you want to be yotzei both of their deot, whether to do the Shleima or the Prusa, this is what you should do. V'yirei Shemayim yotzei yidei shnehem. Omanu, mar be'ravina. That's like mar be'ravina. The mar be'ravina, meniach prusa betocha shleima butzeya. He would put... The broken one inside of the shlema, and then make the bracha on both of them together. He'd be botzei on both of them together. Rashi says tachat, mina prusat tachat shlema, not in literally inside the other one, but rather wrapped up or underneath it. You put them together. You make the bracha on both of them together. He should do both of them in order to be yotzei yedeshnehem. Now, as Rashi says, maniach prusah tocha shlema, and then he says v'nimtu shtehem biyado. Now, both of his hands ubotzeya. Omishnehem, when he eats, he can break off of both of them, omina or just from the whole one. So that's the way Rashi reads this, that you break the brach on both of them, but you pull off from the whole one.
where that works according to Rashi's interpretation. But according to the Rabbeinu Tam, you can't explain it that way because Rabbeinu Tam, even when it's bigger, you can make a choice. Then where's the case where you have to give precedence to, to the Petitim? According to Rashi, Ravuna would say when the broken piece is bigger, you have to give precedence to it. So in that case, Rashi is explaining the Shitato. That's why he put them together because it was a bigger broken piece. But according to Rabbeinu Tam, even when it's a bigger broken piece, Ravuna says you can do whatever you want according to Rabbeinu Tam, then why do you have to do this at all? Just do the Shlema all the way along. And that's what Tosfer points out of here. The fear of Rabbeinu Tam, it's in the phrase Hochi. Just do the shleima and it works for everybody. Then he says, maybe according to Rabbeinu Tam, this menich pusa b'toch shleima is not going back to Rav Huna and Rabbi Yochan, but only referring to this case of the chita and the sora to take care of both opinions over there. So again, this idea that the explanation of Rav Huna's position before now is impact on the halacha. Because Rashi says that Rav Huna only said that you have a choice when the broken pieces are the same size as the shleimim. But if they're bigger than the shleimim, you have to do it on the prusot. And that's what we have Ravina doing over here. That's why he did it on both of them. According to Rabbeinu Tam, that Rav Huna's state was made even in the face of larger broken pieces, then everybody agrees you should do it on the shleimah here. If you do it on the shleimah, you'll see they shneim. And that's what Rabbeinu Tam would have to say here. Or Rabbeinu Tam has to say that with this statement of Rav Nachman Yitzchak, it's not referencing Rav Huna and Rabbi Yochanan, but rather referencing back to the Chita and the Sora. Tani Tanan Kamei to Rav Nachman Yitzchak, Meniach Pusab Tov Shleimah, Butzei Amalei, Amalei, Mashmech. What's your name? Amalei, Salman or Salmon. Amalei, Shalomata, V'Shleimah Mishnatecha, V'Shramta Shalom Ben Atalmidim. He says, you are a peaceful man, your Mishnayot are great, because now you make peace between the different Talmidim, meaning that you brought a compromise that takes care of the Machlok between Rabbi Yochanan and Rav Huna. Amar of Papa, this is a very, very important halacha, has major nafkamina halacha, and has spawned many different practices. Hakol motim Pesach, everybody agrees on Pesach. Shemeniach pusah betok shleimah ubotzeyah. Everybody agrees this is the practice on Pesach. Then you take the broken matzah along with the whole matzah. My time, oh, how do you know? Because lechem oniktiv. Because it says by the matzah and Pesach, it's lechem oni. Lechem oni means prusa, it's broken. So I'm Rabbi Ava, ubi Shabbat, chayav adam libzoa shteki karot. On Shabbat you have to have two holes. By my time, a lechem mishniktiv. You have to have full lechem mishneh. I'm Rabbi Ashi, chazina leder of Ghana, I serve of Ghana. The naki tarte, ubotzeachado. He takes both of them. And then he's only botzea on one of them. Rabbi Zera, botzea kula sheruta. Rabbi used to break off a piece large enough that it would be available to him for the remainder of the meal. So when he broke off from the shleimim, so he would take off a piece that was large enough that that would suffice him for the rest of the meal. Any bread he wanted to eat would be there. He looks like someone who is a glutton, someone who can't take such a large piece. He only did this on Shabbat. It was special for Shabbat that he took off a large enough piece that would satisfy for the rest of the meal. So that was unique to Shabbat. And since it's unique to Shabbat, it's not like he's a glutton because he didn't practice this way all week long. When they had the Eruv, they made the Eruv Chatserot that they used to use bread for. They used to use loaves of bread that they shared for the Eruv Chatserot. That's what they used to make for their Lechem Mishneh. They did one mitzvah with it, let's do another mitzvah with it. And this is not called Osa Mitzvot Chavilot Chavilot, because you're simply making a Birchad Anenin on it. A motzi is not a Birchad Mitzvah. 
When you say chavilot, chavilot is when you're making two birkat mitzvah on a single item. But you're making a birkat mitzvah and a birkat anen, that's not called chavilot. And that's, he points out in Kiddush. Kiddush we make bari priya gofen, and the bracha of Kiddush. Sheratosot says that bari priya gofen is a birkat anenin, not a birkat mitzvah, and therefore it's not considered to be chavilot, chavilot. Now, I said before, this has a major nafkan mina lalocha, and that is on the night of Pesach. On the night of Pesach, here the Gemara seems to say, you take the whole one, and you take the broken piece, and that's what you make the brocha on. Now there are two brochot you make on the night of Pesach. Amotzi lechem in Aretz, and al-echilat matzah. Which one are you making, and what is the Gemara referring to here? In addition, what happened to lechem mishneh? Yom Tov. Pesach is also Yom Tov. What happened to lechem mishneh? So Tosafot brings, Tosafot and Beitza, that brings that Machlok and Midrashim, whether they got double man on Yom Tov, just like they got on Shabbat. And that Machlok and Midrashim would have impact on whether Lechem Mishnah applies to Yom Tov or not. And Tosafot says that our minog is that we are knowing that we have Lechem Mishnah even on Yom Tov. So therefore, based on that fact, now he has an issue. What about Lechem Mishnah? So he brings here a number of practices about what they did on Pesach. He says, Mishum dichtiv lechem oni minich aprusat dachra shleima. Venirek ibotzeya laprusat. Looks like he's being botzeya, that he's breaking away from the broken one. Omigoma kom in v'tok yimala shleima. Just said here in the Gemara, if you had a choice between a shleima and a prusa, you should be botzeya on the shleima. But here, the night of Pesach is lechem oni, so you should be giving precedence to the prusa, because that's really the mitzvah of the night. So he says, what you do is you put them together, and it looks like you're breaking off of the prusa, even though you're breaking from the shleima. But then you'll make, for the motzi lechem in aretz, you'll make a bracha on the shleima, really. You put the prusa together with it, but you'll break off of the shleima. And then you eat both of them. So you make the bracha of a motzi on the shleima, and you make a bracha of alachilamatzah on the prusa. Then you take a piece of both of them, and then you eat it. And that's the minog. So how many matzot did us would have on the night of Pesach? Two. One whole one, and one broken one. It's not right to do both of them on the broken matzah. Because then you're doing palda mitzvah. And he says, when you're late, that's not a problem. Hamotzi is a bigger than any. Bigger than any doesn't classify as chavilot. As I just said before, the prophet is from Kiddush. That's bigger than yain and bigger than Kiddush. From Menachem Mivina. It's very interesting. It's quoting Rav Nachman Vina. It's pretty early on that, that Vienna is being considered a place. Baliatoso, they're found in the, you know, northern France and along the Rhine. To say that there's somebody, they're quoting some of Vina is pretty interesting. He did everything on the Prusa. The whole one's there just to have Lechem Mishneh. But he's Botseya, both for Amotzi and for Achilat Matzel on the broken piece. Vari. And he breaks off a piece of both of them afterwards. Sometimes he would do like the minog, which was to make a motzi on the whole one, and to break off the whole one, and then to break off the prusa for achilat matzah. Our practice today is somewhere along the lines of Tosafot. The question you have to ask on Tosafot is, where do you have Lechem Mishnah here? He just said you had Lechem Mishnah because of the whole one. There's no Lechem Mishnah here. There's one whole one and one broken one. There's no Lechem Mishnah. So Tosvah believes that since the mitzvah of the night is Lechem Oni, the Prusa takes on a shame of Shlema on the night. And that for him, the Lechem Mishnah of the night is one Prusa, which is the Lechem Oni, and then a Shlema is your Lechem Mishnah. That's the second Lechem. The Prusa is the primary of the night. The Lechem Mishnah comes through the second Matzah. Why is that considered a Shlema? Because that's Lechem Oni. That's the Lechem of the night.
Our practice is not that way. Our practice is to take three matzot. We have three matzot, so we have two shleimot and a prusa. So what we end up doing is we make a motzi on the two shleimim with the prusa in the middle. You drop the bottom one because then you're done with the motzi for the lechem mishneh. And then you make the achilat matzah on the prusa, basically, which is with the shleima together, and you break both of them. That's why you get a piece from both of them. One from the lechem mishnah, which is really lechem mishnah, because you have two whole matzot, and one from the broken piece. That's the Ashkenazi. I mean, the Sephardim actually practice like the Tosavot here, and only to have one matzah, one hole, and one prusa, and have that lechem mishnah is the din of the night, of having lechem only be the lechem mishnah. Okay, we'll stop over here.